0: W-B-N-E. Hi before we get started today we just want to let you know that this episode of Bacon and Eggs is brought to you by the Roanoke Diversity Center. Oh man, bet you didn't see that one coming. Yeah, that is right. June ended a month and four days ago, but we are still raising money for the Roanoke Diversity Center. We have an entire collection of Pride graphic t shirts and hoodies and tank tops, all sorts of cool stuff available on our Teespring store. So you can head on over there, and 100% of proceeds is going to the Roanoke Diversity Center for one set of the shirts, and the other set is going to the Tread for Project, the Trevor Project, Trevor Project. Roanoke Diversity Center is local to here in Roanoke. That's why Ethan and I chose it. It is like a center for LGBTQ youth and adults. And it's just this like really awesome organization that we did a lot of research on. And we're like super excited about being here. It seems relatively new. I could be wrong about that, but it's very, very cool. And we would love to be able to give back to them in any way that we can. So if you'd like a new shirt, there's a bunch of really cool pride designs on our Teespring store. There is a link in the description. But yeah, that is what we are doing. Anyway, let's go ahead and get started with the episode. Thank you so much for listening. I just think, man, you're just the nicest person. I'm just so happy to know you. I really am. Anyway, let's get to it. Howdy, Oaks, and welcome back to Bacon and Eggs! I'm Tyler Garland. I'm swallowing (laughs) Coca-Cola,
1: and I'm Ethan Edgehill, and today we're stealing gold, or maybe we're playing golf, so break into Fort Knox, and eject your enemies out of the passenger seat of your car, because today we're bringing you Goldfinger!
0: I guess I could sing the song. Like, oh, finger! Uh, real quick, I want to get through these stats because I want to talk about it. This is our new oldest movie, right? Oh, okay. Uh, Mary Poppins release date. Oh, that's a good question. Oh. August 26th, 1964. So not quite. Not quite. I forgot about Mary Poppins like I always do. Uh, But this was directed by Guy Hamilton. Uh, Why does he write like he's running out of time? You he know? doesn't.
1: As far as I can tell, he did this.
0: <laughs> uh, it was released on September 17th, 1964, just 20,418 days ago. Uh, so we were really digging into the Bacon and Eggs vault today. If you want us to dig into that vault more often, just let us know. Maybe we'll do some more older stuff. I would say I've seen none of the movies in the vault, except for this and Mary Poppins and Jaws and Star Wars. Uh, he I did sa-
1: several uh uh, Bond movies going forward, but I believe this was his first one. Gotcha. Anyway,
0: this made 125 million dollars worldwide. It got a 99 percent critic and 89 percent audience rating on Rotten Tomatoes and an 87 on Metacritic. Ethan, do you have a negative review for me? I do.
1: I have a negative review from Bosley Crowther of the New York Times. That is a Bond villain. It is a Bond villain. He's also he was like the predecessor of Dick Brody.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: Yeah, he was the he was the the Gene Siskel of to to Richard Brody's Roger Ebert. Gotcha. Ah, uh, and he says, "What they give us in Goldfinger is an excess of science fiction fun, a mess of mechanical melodrama, and a minimum of bedroom farce." A minimum of bedroom farce. The wild thing to me here is is we are in, from such an era
0: in which Goldfinger would be considered science fiction. Oh, that's true. Yeah, this to like, me was not science. No, fiction. this
1: is. I mean, well, so we're here on the other end of this. This is a Bond movie. Like, that is a thing in itself. Yeah, I guess that was relatively
0: new at this time. This is the third one. Yeah, this is the third one.
1: Yeah, first one for Guy Hamilton. Um, the other ones were done by the, another guy. The, the first two, Doctor No, and oh man, um, Doctor No, and not Thunderball. Maybe Thunderball. James Bond's, might be from Russia with love. No, yes, from Russia with love. Thunderball '65 is the next one. Anyway, this is uh, so this is Tyler's the fir- the oldest Bond movie Tyler's seen. Tyler, do you have a positive review for this?
0: I do. There's there is no shortage of positive. Yeah, I found reviews the one on Rotten film. Tomatoes. Yeah. Um. Okay, I've got a review from the Variety staff that i don't believe uh this review came out may 6th 2008 variety writes there's not the least sign of staleness in the this third sample of the bond 007 formula
1: he said may sixth, two 2008 yeah that had to be like a like quantum of solace press
0: must have been but let me tell you something ethan this movie is stale this movie does not work in 2020
1: um well 2020 I, is far removed far removed from 2008 yeah tell you that first of all if you compare so there's a Bond movie coming out this year right yes uh theoretically hopefully it actually comes out it although if theaters are still closed in the uk i doubt it will come out this year um this right. is like their star wars according to seamus gorman right and if you compare what the bond movie that's about to the the role specifically of uh james's female counterparts in the movie that's about to come out compared to 2006's casino royale i think you will find just how far the bond franchise has come in the last 14 years.
0: Who was it in Casino Royale? What was the girl name? No idea. I'll pull it up right now. I got the I got the thing right here. If,
1: let me tell you, if you're asking me the names of Bond girls, I know the one from this movie whose name we shall not mention during this episode.
0: What, what frustrated me so much about the girl from this movie is that there was five of them and one of them, I think five, there was, hold on, there was one and then two and there's four, right? No, hold on. There was the girl at the beginning in the, like the
1: there's at least seven.
0: Oh, is that Be- like a thing? No,
1: because there's there's five. I think of the Flying Circus.
0: Okay, but I was and then there were the speaking... two Masterson sisters, and then there's the girl at the very beginning. She's one of the Masterson sisters. No, no, no. Before that girl, oh, the girl oh, in oh. well, she is the she's the pre roll Bond girl. She doesn't matter. But, okay, but she's in it anyway. Eva Green played Vesper lind in uh Casino Vesper. Royale. Vesper,
1: yeah, that's the one. Yeah, we should have done Casino Royale. I, I've been saying this. <laughs> it's a better Casino Royale's Sweet. You wanted to see one of the old
0: ones. Um, I, I, okay. So this is my thing is people always talk about Connery as like the quintessential bond. And I certainly agree that he is handsome enough. He does. I, to me, this does not look like Sean Connery of 2020, like how the person playing bond turned into the man we know today. I, d- I don't well, see, like, look
1: at, look at Sean Connery in, um, uh, Indiana Jones, the last crusade.
0: Okay. Let me, let me, I don't know that I've seen last crusade. He plays Indiana Jones senior. Okay. And I get that, like,
1: I guess it's 25 years. Years, but he aged a lot in that 25 years yes
0: i just saw i just saw a photo uh he looks much much older here
1: uh, granted, I, th- I believe that a lot of the aging Dunham in that movie was, uh, like, fake, because he pretty much looked exactly the same until about five years ago, uh, and he's, like, maybe, I think, four or five years older than Harrison Ford. Right. Um, yeah, so this is this is Connery's uh, sort of... I mean, obviously, he was the first Bond, but this is the one where he sort of finds his footing in the he's character. He's the first
0: Bond? I thought there was a guy before him. Negative, Ghost Rider. He is the first Bond. R- okay, I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, so it was... It was uh, let's see... He did five and then came back for a non, like a non-equity one, a non-union one. Okay. Hang on. Let me get your chronology here real quick. Because obviously oh, the- we're never going to cover the all of the Bond movies. It's That's ridiculous.
0: Well, also after this one, I don't have much desire to watch some of the older ones. Ah, uh, wild. I love this movie. Oh my God. It made me very uncomfortable often. And the fact that he was like constantly womanizing, which I guess that's like a Bondism, but like the womanizing just, oh my God, it never stopped. Yeah, it is definitely a Bondism.
1: And it's not, it, it's not supposed to be like, like, you don't, you're not, you don't have to like that.
0: No, I get that. And I feel like this also came out at a time when I don't know what was in theaters in 1964, with the exception of James Bond and Mary Poppins, but I do feel like a grown man in 1964 would much rather go see James Bond than Mary Poppins.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the, the still the case is like you have, this is, these are, are, are out and out action movies. Like this is the, precursor what you're looking at here is is what gave birth to Mission Impossible and Jason Bourne right. and all right. of that like the Bourne books were written after these movies had already been wildly successful
0: and these these now quick question you you're a bond scholar to a to a certain extent definitely not like a
1: yeah, so I've I've seen all but one of the Bond movies, the
0: extant Bond movies. And have you read any of the books? I have read several of the books. There are more than I was expecting. They only recently ran out of books. Uh no, there's definitely ones they haven't made movies into. There are not. Maybe not from the Fleming era, but Right, but like that's the, he's the
1: guy that writes Bond books.
0: There's a Moonraker movie? Yeah. Uh
1: Moonraker I've was heard... the last Moore, maybe? No. Roger Moore did the most, I that much.
0: So I've I've never seen a Moore one now. I've seen uh Connery, Brosnan, Connery brosnan and craig craig yeah
1: now i i'm a big fan of of brosnan bond and brosnan is is everybody's like least favorite the general regarded as least favorite anyway so this is this is connery's third of one two three four five five six so he did six official ones and one non-official one
0: okay lazenby is the name that i couldn't remember
1: yeah he did only one uh Her Majesty's secret service and it's not great
0: yeah i would never seen lazenby or dalton or more
1: roger moore did the most timothy dalton did the second to least are the books readable yeah yeah they are perfectly good they are better than your average beach house book how long are they not long. See, they're, this is something small. that you could I believe that you can buy like you can buy anthologies that have several Bond books that are like the the size of a normal book. Okay. But yeah, I believe they ran out of Fleming bonds after Casino Royale. Not Casino Royale, after um Quantum of Solace, the second Craig. Skyfall and Spectre are new
0: stories, new to the Bond universe or new to film. Like
1: crafted for the
0: films. Okay. Yes, I'm not seeing those in the post Fleming era or Raymond Benson. So let's talk about how most of our generation came to Bond. How, our generation, like men 25 to 30, or like Gen Z and millennials?
1: Our generation, like, I would say people with a maximum, or yeah, a minimum age of like three years younger than us, probably three or
0: four years younger than us. Because there's an important switch here, right? There is uh, the, the switch being die another day.
1: No, that is not the important switch. You are missing the important switch here, Tyler. And it makes me think that this may not have been a thing in your canon. How okay, much, what is, how much GoldenEye did you play? A ton. That
0: is okay. the switch.
1: Yeah, that's that's the thing. That is when Bond became relevant um, to the younger generation. Yeah, so like GoldenEye was one of those games that I only ever played uh, at friends' houses. I was not uh, possessing of a Nintendo Switch. Not Nintendo 64. Switch. Nintendo 64. That's the one. You said Switch yep. a bunch, and I started talking about the Switch. The N64, I did not have one. So much like um much like Smash Bros, I did not play this at my own place or with my own siblings whom I did not have. But I have the fondest memories of hanging out at my friends' houses till four o'clock in the morning playing Goldeneye. That was a hell of a video game.
0: It's still, I mean, because that game without Goldeneye, you don't get Halo.
1: Yeah, you do not get um first person shooters with like competition
0: right like at all so it's it's very like golden is extremely important in video game history yeah and you could play as odd job from and this movie. shorter yeah
1: even though odd job is not short in this movie is he not I, w- I was under the impression he still was no he's like a normal size person i, I think they combined odd job and this uh fellow called knickknack from the man with the golden gun
0: uh, that who was very
1: it. short and also i believe asian there's a lot going on in these movies that isn't particularly savory let's let's knock that one out right up front it's like there's a lot uh that you just can't say anymore in these movies specifically this one uh, no no not specifically this one at all okay so here's here's what so i So but get. you, have, you still haven't seen the old ones like this is uh i wouldn't say it's tamer by any means this is the the more of the um raucous one and 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 a lot of the early connery ones i sort of mix up plot points like you could just put the you could put them in like a three-act movie generator and like you get act one from goldfinger and like act two from thunderball and act three from Dr. No and and you could make a pretty successful movie.
0: One thing I do love about all the movies, I don't know if this is in all of them, maybe I saw this film on television when I was young, but when they get the bomb timer to stop on 007.
1: Oh yeah. Always.
0: I think that's so like that's such a, the, a so clever thing. They're
1: never supposed to be serious.
0: Yeah, I think that's that I mean, I think that is something I did not get growing up watching Bond, especially when maybe not Brosnan but like Daniel Craig takes the role very seriously.
1: Daniel Craig is grittier than the rest of them for sure.
0: Yeah. And they started that right
1: out of the bat i mean casino royale was a shift a big shift
0: yeah what is it how does how does uh daniel craig order his martini in casino royale it's something like it is something like do you want that shaken or stirred and he's like do i look like i give a yeah something like that
1: because the the shaken not stirred is the line
0: but it's also so this is an interesting thing about shaken not stirred shaken the wrong way to order a gin martini it is the wrong way to order a gin martini because it bruises the gin but it's also only like i think connery says it and nobody else yeah like The rest of them, like, all of them order the martini differently. But Connery's, like, shaken, not stirred, despite the fact that it was in Goldfinger in 1964, is, like, how Eggsy orders his drink. Well, I guess he doesn't. He orders it while staring at a bottle of vermouth.
1: Yeah, an unopened bottle of vermouth. Yeah. But yeah, so this is is the prototype for all of those movies. And, like, you have ones that take it more seriously. You have Jason Bourne and Mission Impossible. And you have ones that take it less serious, like Kingsman. Um, But all of these, like, international super spy movies, hell, even Spy Kids. You don't have Spy Kids without this. Right. You don't have any of it. It doesn't exist. Like James Bond was the first spy,
0: right? Well, at least as far as we're concerned.
1: I mean, I'm a pretty, I'm pretty up on the general canon of films. Yeah, like I'm I, not. I don't. Know I would anything. say that I, I have a general working knowledge of, especially espionage films. Um, and they did not look like this prior to 1962. That's the whole thing is this was a, this was the anti-Disney, right? Like this was definitely not a thing that Walt Disney would put out. Right. Ever. And it was supposed to, yeah, for what it was worth, it was supposed to get a different set of people to go to the movies. And it worked. This movie made $125 million. Like in nineteen
0: sixty In 1962
1: money. Which And they talk about money wildly in this movie. They're like, inside Fort Knox is $15 billion. And I'm like, I could name 20 people that have more than $15 billion to their name. Right. <laughs> and ah. that's the that's the U.S. Gold Reserve in Fort Knox in 1964. Like
0: the whole thing. The whole thing. Oh my gosh.
1: And like these movies work the same way that Fast and Furious movies work, where like the time period they take place in has absolutely no bearing on it whatsoever. Like they, they take a canonical story that is supposed to take place over a few months and drag it over 15 years. And like it doesn't matter. The car's change. You can't you can't think about it too much or it all breaks down entirely.
0: You don't get Dominic Toretto without James Bond. You don't
1: get Dominic Toretto without James Bond, for sure. So like by yes. no means am I saying that this is the greatest greatest. greatest movie ever made, and that it is free of problems. Absolutely not. I don't even think this is my favorite Bond movie.
0: This is definitely not my favorite Bond movie. This doesn't come close to the Craig films that I've seen.
1: Uh, I would rather watch this than than, uh, Quantum of Solace or or Skyfall.
0: I don't know that... I I may have only seen Casino Royale. No,
1: we saw Quantum of Solace together in the theater in 2008.
0: Okay, I believe that. But I
1: haven't seen it since then. I believe that the the song was like a Mark Anthony song.
0: I think you're right. Was it... uh, Oh, God. I don't remember, uh, but
1: I think Billie Eilish did the new one.
0: That's sweet. It's out. Is it good? Uh, I mean, it's Billie Eilish. I, don't, I mean, does that mean it's good? Or does It, it sounds sound, like Billie saying?
1: Eilish. It's It. Ah. I mean, they're Bond songs, man. They're never great. Like live and let die is by far the best Bond song. There's another one. What's the one Madonna
0: did? Die Another Day.
1: I liked that one. Die Another Day was a great movie. Underrated. Yeah. The Brazen films are underrated. And maybe it's just because that was the, like, that was when they started making video games. Like, I played Golden Eye, I played The World's Not Enough. I played Tomorrow Never Dies. That was when they started making video games out of them. Like, proper video games that had, like, campaigns. Story modes.
0: Yeah. Oh, I loved the story modes. We played one, not you and I, but me and John Vitello played something on the GameCube. And it was the just the best. The GameCube. Yeah. Oh, man. They were hard, man. Yeah they were not easy Uh, I mean Goldeneye was like Long. And there oh, was like the, a whole sheets The one list I love wasn't
1: even based on a movie. It's called 007 Agent Under Fire. That's the one, Agent Under Fire. That's yeah, what I I had it for the of. PlayStation 2. It slapped.
0: I would I would play it today, and in fact, I might. I I may still, just, I'm sure I still have it somewhere. I mean I have a I have a GameCube emulator on this PC. I could make it happen right now. Agent
1: Under Fire. Look at these freaking graphics, man. Like if you view it, like that was the, it, this was the pinnacle of video game graphics when I remember I, playing it.
0: I mean the PS2 definitely had that reputation, but uh the game. Cube. I don't think anybody was ever like, oh yeah. This no, I had is...
1: it for the PlayStation 2. It looked good, man. That was that was the epitome of how you could make polygons look like stuff at that point. And it's now I play game. a game that's
0: three years old, and I'm like, this looks bad. This looks terrible.
1: You go back to like, you play FIFA 17, you're like, what were they doing? What?
0: Yeah. I, I how how did I ever play this? I just
1: started playing FIFA 20. Incredible, beautiful game. Really? Yeah. It'll look terrible in six months, but beautiful game.
0: I would. I've been uh, dying to. I forgot what video games I like like entirely. I I don't know how to like sit down and play video. I think my problem is that the controller is less fun than my phone like you have to think is this going to immediately and consistently be more fun than TikTok? and if not i'm just gonna watch TikToks. well me
1: and the premier league afc wimbledon disagree with you yeah <laughs>
0: go don i've
1: been busting through some don's football let me tell you that much
0: oh i believe it oh uh, uh, as soon as
1: i put that on and like just loaded the game into into um career mode i was like oh i'm back I'm back baby let's go
0: go dons uh, they finally so let's, made
1: let's, penalty kicks hard that's
0: good yeah they used to they used to just be like undoable what do you mean no not free kicks like like regular penalties I felt like when we were playing the game the penalty kicks were like, You'd always make them, but there was like zero strategy whatsoever in how to kick the ball.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. But now you have to have strategy, or they get it every time.
0: You never make uh, it. But
1: like the free kick, t- the free kicks are still un- undoable, ungettable. Entirely makes no sense. Like it won't, uh, it won't go in the goal ever. <laughs> no, <that> like Beckham, <laughs> David Beckham.
0: <laughs> uh, are you playing with Don Draper? No, just this no. is the team. It's the team. Oh, just the team. Yeah.
1: Who was the guy? Okay, so when we did that game, I've been meaning to ask you this over the past few days. When we. Who was the Man United player that we got before we got into the game? We took oh we took Don Draper, our, our our create a star.
0: It was a defender.
1: It was a defender. Who were the defenders from Man United? He was an older guy at that point, too.
0: Yeah. That's oh why my we God. picked him. Because we wanted him to retire while we were building the team. Yes.
1: What was that, 2012? Uh,
0: 20, I think 2013. Uh, no. Shh. Rio Ferdinand.
1: Rio Ferdinand. I could not remember the name.
0: Yeah. Rio Ferdinand. Traded him to AOC Wimbledon. Yeah. When they were still in League Two.
1: They were the worst team in England.
0: Yeah. And and the reason we did it, I don't know why we have to defend ourselves, but the reason we did it was like, I wanted to be able to actually play the game and I didn't want to add like a striker to the team that would just score.
1: Which we did. Because that's how the star worked. Right. Because he would just grow really good.
0: Yeah. Very fast. Turns out. Nobody knew how that system worked though. Yeah. So
1: you can't, you can't, I don't think you can do that anymore where you can like add your creative player into the the um the campaign and have him like
0: build like that It's very weird the way they take things away Like I just want to play the game the way I want to like uh, something that always frustrates me in Madden is like, I love moving the teams from like, I like to make it so that all of a sudden the LA Chargers are the Mexico City Chargers. Like yeah. I just love moving Set the teams that, and team changing the names. that team move to aggressive. Yeah. And it's always like, well, the team's not doing well enough or poor enough to move, but it doesn't make any sense. Sorry, you can't move the team. It's like, just let me make this world silly and then play. Gosh. That's the thing about FIFA though, is there's always an override. Yeah. Because I, FIFA, I mean, FIFA
1: doesn't care. There's no draft in FIFA. There's no there, there's no one single league. It's right. like. There's there's you like a hundred leagues. Yeah, there's like a hundred leagues. You, you do whatever you want. You just turn up the sliders and you win every game. Yeah. It's not the same in Madden. You still have to throw the ball and have that guy catch it.
0: I mean, you could, you could score 244 points in Madden pretty easily. Oh,
1: I mean, for sure. Yeah.
0: I miss, I'll tell you what the best was back in like Madden 02, when you could build like an entire team from scratch. That was good old days.
1: Yeah. I had more time to play video games then though
0: i did yeah I, I tell you if i tried to do that now i would uh if i can't get myself. in and start
1: playing it within five minutes like if there's a if fifa fifa tried to make me play like a, a tutorial match where it was mm-hmm. like here play manchester city versus manchester united in the champions league semi-final and i was like no i don't want to no, i know I how to play to. fifa you have right. not changed the controls in 15 years
0: yeah b to shoot a to pass x to cross
1: Yeah, so Oddjob, the thing behind Oddjob was that you couldn't hit him, right? Like, that was the whole thing, is everybody, if Oddjob was banned because he had no hitbox up top.
0: Right. Like, you couldn't, yeah. You had to, like, aim down. I want want to talk about the nitty gritty of this film. We'll talk about Um, it. Yeah, so the way things were shot in 1964, and I have the same problem with, problem is the wrong word. I have the same, uh, I guess, like, lenses I need to watch them through for, like, Mary Poppins where I'm just not like, like the way that we have developed fight choreography over the years is exclusively a good thing. Yeah, uh, it's,
1: it's used too much, but yeah.
0: Yeah. But, like, I, I think the scene in the church in Secret Service is cooler than this whole film. Right. Like, there isn't an action sequence in this movie where I'm like, <gasps> no way. How did he do that? Like, they're all just silly billy moments, which I, I understand is the point. Um, but there is, like, a certain set of glasses that I, I do not have a refined vision for that I always need to put on when I watch films from this era. And it, it takes some time for me to, like, suspend my disbelief and really enjoy them. Because, like like, there's no practical effects for somebody who's been shot. They just fall over. Like there's not even like a little like scratch in their shirt or blood or anything. Uh,
1: Well, so here's, here's the thing you're not looking at though. These were like this, especially early on, these were scrappy, like low budget movies. Yeah. This was not, I mean, this was, this was 10 people at Eon Films being like, Hey, Metro Golden Mayor, can we have a hundred bucks, please? Like, can we make a movie for you and you distribute it? It's going to be good. I promise. It's based on a spy and we're going to get Sean Connery to play it. Well, who the hell is Sean Connery? Don't know. You'll, you'll find out. Trust us.
0: <laughs> he's James Bond.
1: Yeah. He's about to be James Bond. <laughs> And like, these were not, you know, this wasn't, this is the equivalent of, of, of Star Wars basically in, in 77, but that's 13 years later.
0: Right. So that's the difference of like Transformers in 2007 to, I don't know what came out this year. Nothing. Uh, <laughs> Nothing. End game last year. Yeah. You know, like there is a significant gap. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog came out this year. I know my stuff. Yeah. But that's actually a good comparison. Transformers to Sonic the Hedgehog. That's a much more advanced film.
1: Although I would think for, uh, for bad reasons. Like, I, I don't think that... We've gone too far at this point, I would say.
0: You think there's a little like uncanny valley with Sonic the no, Hedgehog? I don't oh. think
1: it's an uncanny valley. I think that we rely so much on CGI at this point that it starts to look bad immediately.
0: Yeah. I'm Like I, look
1: at uh, I saw a there's a there's a TikTok video going around right now that's a screen cap of Legolas from one of the Hobbit movies, like murking a troll. Okay. And it looks like garbage. Absolute CGI trash. But you look at you look at the original Lord of the Rings movies, even as they were shot in two thousand one and they look fantastic.
0: So Let me ask you a question do you ever have the experience in the theater where you're like that looks like trash because to me it doesn't happen like i the theater always gives me rose-colored glasses watching I'm trying to think of like heavy cgi films especially ones that interact with humans Be real
1: with you i'll be real with you
0: avengers endgame endgame did not do that to yeah me. that
1: big last battle sequence didn't do it for me it was oh, it last... was strong emotional moments but i was not sitting there like wow this is beautiful
0: i was like man could you have just shot this with a camera in a field please please i did not have that feeling definitely not in the theater I I may have that if i went and watched it today but like here's here's one that comes to mind detective pikachu i'm in Yeah, you know none none of that felt well, so dated. That's,
1: and that's the thing is when you're and, and this is the same deal sonic the hedgehog it's when you're like putting something and i get that like a lot of detective pikachu is um is also green screen like it's just it's the dude standing there in a green screen talking to probably andy circus <laughs> or ryan reynolds or yeah i would i would love the idea of ryan reynolds crawling around on the ground in a pikachu suit right <laughs> But like you compare that to, to like Star Wars, right? Where, where BB-8 is a ball, like a a BB-8 painted ball that's rolled around on the set.
0: Yeah. BB-8 looks great.
1: BB-8 looks great compared to
0: Detective Pikachu. I still think that like when I was in the the theater, this is what I'm talking about though. In the theater, I think Detective Pikachu looked great. There wasn't a moment where I was like, no. Detective uh -uh." Pikachu
1: is supposed to be corny and cartoony though. That's true. What, I actually want to circle back around this, on so this, your... Real, real quick, though. This is okay, the Borderlands yeah. thing, though. Like, Borderlands is never going to look bad.
0: Ever. Right, because it looks like No matter
1: what, because it looks like a cartoon. It, is, it has a style. Yeah. And this is how I honestly feel about, about this, like, competition that animated movies are getting into, where they're like, who can make the most like mo- lifelike movie? And I'm stop. Have a well, style. S-
0: that's actually... So that, that's a good example. Like, take a look at Pixar. They have a certain style, but they are still, like, trending more towards lifelike. Yeah. But I feel like they're, they're catching themselves, because, like, incredibly... 2 was like too much person yeah. detail but onward, onward and it onward is perfect yeah, i love it yeah beautiful onward. yeah um and then still at disney like frozen 2 i don't felt like didn't feel like they focused too much on making anna and elsa look like people i felt like they gave them a stylized look and i appreciated that and i liked that
1: yeah, um, I would agree. And I think I think they have realized the, that competition, especially that internal competition, because for a while it was like Disney and Pixar fighting back and forth, being like, who can make the most lifelike movie? Yeah. And then freaking DreamWorks is over there like, How to Train Your Dragon 3 is going to be, wait for it, pretty.
0: Yeah. And oh my God, that movie is so pretty. I couldn't tell you what happens at all, but it's so pretty.
1: And here's the thing, Spider-Verse came out, won an Oscar, and Disney and Pixar were like, Frick! That was so cool. Hey, go, roll it back, guys. Let's actually make movies with style. Because you had movies like, because y- y- last year we reviewed, uh, klaus and we were like holy man this movie's great Uh, and it's like 2d it's drawn on paper
0: well i don't think it was but yeah
1: like disney hasn't done a traditionally animated movie in so long that like just just vibe with it for a minute guys like yeah so that's kind of what I like about these movies is that they're not technical masterpieces. It's just, it's, it's like, it's a dumb spy movie shot in Technicolor.
0: Yeah. And it was, and it, and it did that purpose well. Which I, I miss
1: Technicolor, honestly, truly I do.
0: What is Technicolor? Tell me what that is. Like, that's, explain it like I'm five. So
1: that's the movie, that's the, the cameras they used to make the Wizard of Oz and everything from the Wizard of Oz through like the mid seventies.
0: Okay. But like, what, what does it do?
1: It's just, it does, it renders color. Okay. Like it's just, the, it's what color looked like in movies. Okay. That was the the trademark for color for a while is it was Technicolor film and the Technicolor cameras. And it's it's three strips of black and white film that are shot together in a red, green, blue and processed as one piece of film. It's what this movie shot in. It's what The Wizard of Oz was shot in. It's what Mary Poppins was shot in. And it gives you that vibrant kind of almost overbaked color.
0: It's warm. It's warm.
1: And it's, 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 it had its inherent problems. It was very bad at capturing black people. Um, And I, uh, you know, Kodak had a big problem with, with stuff like that for a long time. Kodak didn't make Technicolor, but there's, there's all kinds of inherent biases and issues baked into film. And the more I learn about film, the more I learn about how like the history of film has always been racist. And I'm not saying we should bring back Technicolor. I just think that like, again, it, it was a race to make color more lifelike and they got whatever the next process was after Technicolor. And I think movies lost something.
0: I okay, so I don't like the way this looks. I do. I I I. You see, some like it's also a makeup thing, but you see so much sweat and everybody's so shiny, and I don't know. I I was not crazy about the colors. Uh, I, I tell you that that's at least visually what it is for me. And and this again is another like film literacy thing where I know if I spend more time in this era of film, I will develop a love and appreciation for the way this looks especially because I really don't like black and white film at all. It's like a pain for me to so watch. So
1: go back but but now after so after you watch this like go back and watch I I'm trying to think of what like the most egregious examples of this are. Maybe Transformers 2007. Maybe like one of these war movies like The Hurt Locker or Zero Dark 30. And you you watch a movie made in this like Hollywood teal and orange that they've got going on now and it's It's almost painful.
0: I felt like uh, if we pull up some stills from Transformers, they actually went for the Technicolor look a little bit. I might be wrong about that. Well, I mean, obviously not Technicolor, not grainy awfulness, but um, not. Okay, so I'm going to send you two shots. One is... if I can. I don't know if that's possible in Zoom. Um, one is Sam and Michaela at night. Um, Guys, is going to take a second. Well, it's okay. like I watched
1: this movie, which is made in, in you know, God's Honest Technicolor film this week. And last week I watched The Grand Budapest Hotel by Wes Anderson, and it's made in full Wes Anderson style.
0: Yeah. Wes Anderson's a stylistic director.
1: Correct. But like, I would rather watch movies like that if we're just talking about cheerily about like how it looks, than I would watch movies like, oh, uh, what is the one they keep bringing up? There's a video floating around right now about like why are movies shot in, in just two colors? these days Uh, at Astra that Brad Paisley Brad Paisley Brad Brad Pitt movie movie. um where it's like it's it's like apparently the newest worst example of why everything is just blue and orange
0: so uh, yeah okay and everything blue and orange I believe that Brad Pitt would make a movie that's that's exclusively blue and orange. I don't think
1: he made it, but he I was just in. He did. did he? I thought he did. Oh,
0: maybe he did. I don't know. I feel like Brad Pitt's sitting there, like Matthew McConaughey can be an astronaut. I could, I could be an astronaut.
1: Oh, Christopher Nolan is no, uh, no innocent victim here of this, this thing we're talking about.
0: No, have you seen the Prestige? It's like, yeah, yeah, no, they, because they, they shoot the two sides of uh, not Angier, Angier, no Angier's uh, the other character. What is? Bol- uh, Alfred Borden. Borden. They shoot the, like two sides of his character uh, in, in and then, red and blue. Yeah. I don't know how to send pictures in Zoom. You have to like upload it as a file. Oh, that's dumb.
1: Here, I'm going gonna, gonna to text you a screenshot.
0: Okay. Why, why you're doing that? I want to talk to you about the music in this film. One of the things I love about James Bond is the, oh, iconic, the, horns, the iconic music, especially yeah. as somebody who played horn, like spy horns are like, that's my bread and butter. That's my... That's my crack. The final fight with Oddjob being done without music at all was a was the wrong move. Yeah, and I can tell you, like, I can tell you why. Because if you watch that scene and you put on Duel of the Fates from Phantom Menace, the scene improves. Yeah, it's
1: a freaking problem I had with uh, Arrival.
0: There wasn't enough score.
1: Yeah. Anyway, I just sent you a screenshot from Spectre. The, the most recent Bond movie to actually come out. And like, I would prefer the way Goldfinger looks to just following the Hollywood trend. Like that was always a thing about the Connery movies is like, and even Casino Royale was, was, it was pretty and beautiful and it was at the beach.
0: Casino Royale was, which one is the one, is it Quantum of Solace or Casino Royale where like the movie ends and then there's like an entire second movie at the end of it? Ah, uh,
1: Casino Royale.
0: Is it Casino Royale where yeah. like he like wins the thing and he gets the girl and yeah, they're like and then living they go together. to like
1: a different city.
0: Yeah, and then like the building falls down and yeah. the suitcase is, Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. That's the most annoying thing in the world. That is um, one thing I liked about this freaking movie is when Goldfinger reveals the plan and then, like, the action starts, and the movie ends. Yep, yep, 100%. Um,
1: I don't know. I, I like the old movies like that. And, and like, again, this is not... Guy Hamilton is no freaking director. He's not... You know, I, I don't even know that I could tell you necessarily who d- the directors were in the, in the early 60s, but, like, if you look... Cinematography did not exist in this movie, but it did exist in this time period.
0: They were pretty serious about their uh, helicopter shots in this film. And that's fair. There was a lot of aerial shots and it was very easy for me to take them for granted and be like, oh, no, wait a minute, 1964. There's a human being in a, in a helicopter right now. And uh, I, I, I liked a lot of the prop direction. I liked the gadgets. I thought that was a really exciting thing to see what they considered to be like a super futuristic gadget in 1964. But when I... Here's... Okay, so here's my thing. I like the film. I'm glad that I saw it. I'm happy that I'm, I'm, I'm expanding my film knowledge. But if this is what the majority of film critics are calling, like, the golden classics of cinema, this to me is important to see and recognize but is not the pinnacle of entertainment and definitely is not timeless
1: i don't think this is what people are calling the golden classics of cinema
0: do you think this falls into the same category i mean i know they're different eras but do you think this falls into the same category as say ghostbusters
1: no i think this falls into the same category as like iron man
0: oh uh, no iron man will be remembered would
1: we say james bond has been not remembered <laughs> would we that's say true. that that's
0: true that's <laughs> true that's, 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 that's what I'm saying. Yeah.
1: Is like, this is, this is the movie that set off Bond, right? Right. I mean, Dr. No is a good movie. For Russia of Love is a, is a great movie. I kind of like that one better. Um, but it is, it was imperative for setting off this whole thing. And I, and I don't think that we should call it a flawless movie. I don't think that we should let it slide other things that it kind of slides on. But I also think that its impact can't be underestimated. Yeah. And I think In, there's something like, to
0: be said this about- This was pure
1: entertainment cinema. Like exactly this is exactly the I was thing you like. This is a popcorn movie.
0: Yeah, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Is and here's here's the difference between 1964 and uh, 2002. In 1964, Sean Connery made a Bond film where there is no theme, there is no lesson to be learned, there is nothing. Right. It is just rock'em, sock'em, womanizer. You know, you could not, other than shaken, not stirred, there isn't a quote from this film that you would get like tattooed on your body. No. Right. Uh,
1: But this has some of the, the, and the Bond movies are never like that, but this has some of the iconic Bond lines.
0: It does have some of the iconic Bond lines, but it does. Okay, here's the comparison. In 2002, a film that should have no worthwhile quotes in it whatsoever that should go mostly forgotten has Steve Buscemi say, do you think God stays in heaven because he too lives in fear of what he created? In Spy Kids 2. Okay. So what I'm saying is like films in 1964, maybe not Mary Poppins, but yes, with Bond. And this is this is from a sample size of two films that came out the year, uh, had much less pressure to teach the viewer anything. Now, of course, Mary Poppins I was
1: gonna say you can learn teaches, a lot from Mary Poppins.
0: Mary Mary Poppins teaches you a lot. There's a spoonful of sugar helps the cocaine go down or whatever. But what do you learn
1: from what do you learn from the born identity? Don't trust the government? Maybe. Like you have you learned the same thing in this movie, like people that want money for money's sake or evil. That's it.
0: I, I couldn't tell you what the Born Identity is about.
1: I'm just saying, like, the, you, you don't watch a lot of action movies, okay? You like to say that you like entertainment movies, but you don't watch a lot of action movies.
0: I watch the Fast and the Furious films, most of them.
1: I would say that the, the Fast and the Furious movies are exceptionally good and well thought out action movies when you really get down to it. Because you learn things like, you know, you don't have to be family to be family yeah. in the Fast and the Furious. Yeah. You um, learn about loyalty, you learn about, about taking care of your friends, you learn about making sure that everybody eats.
0: You learn very similar themes to the to the letter in the Mission Impossible films. You know, like Ethan, what is it? Ethan Hunt. Ethan Hunt Ethan yeah. Hunt uh has like his crew. Yeah. Yeah, you know, more loyal to them than the government that he works for or any family to speak of.
1: I mean James I d- Bond d- strolled. He strutted down that runway, mama. So <laughs> yeah. that Ethan Hunt could walk. <laughs>
0: my here's here's what i want i want like thanos makes compelling arguments i think they're wrong goldfinger does not goldfinger wants to achieve the greatest heist
1: yeah he's there's there's never been there's never been a pinnacle of crime there's never been a miracle in crime
0: yeah okay when danny ocean wants to do that it is because he wants to get back at terry benedict that's at least something
1: correct but that was so this is this is 1962 though this is full-on red scare cold war america right this is
0: there's some context I'm, I'm omitting. That's right. fair. Like
1: there, there is, because that's that's all we knew about the Soviets though, is that they wanted to take over the world for the sake of taking over the world. They wanted to spread their own ideas to the world because they felt like it. So that's what all of the villains from this era are like, is they're just a faceless menace. Yes. Greed, capitalistic greed, in, in based in this like idea of people that just want it for the sake of wanting it. And and then there's a lot of context that you could apply to it from, you know, if you're looking at our own current situation, our own current government that, that can't exactly be trusted and takes and is greed with their money. I don't think it's timeless necessarily, but I I don't think it is without its own small brand of commentary.
0: That's fair. I mean, that's fair.
1: Here's my thing. And truly, truly, I think that 1964 is an interesting cross-section because you don't, you 100% do not get Iron Man and the Marvel Cinematic Universe without Mary Poppins and James Bond. That's true. You do not get balls to the wall entertainment movies for kids without without Mary Poppins and James Bond coming out in 1964.
0: This is a great year for film. I think I think uh, you know there's there's a lot to be said here, and I don't think either of the films we reviewed from 1964 were like Oscar noms or anything. Uh, Mary I have Poppins, no idea. I believe,
1: was Oscar nominated. Let's see. 1964 in film. There was a cinematography
0: award in 1964. Who knew? Let's see.
1: Dr. Strange Love or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Bomb is a fantastic movie. Uh, That was January. Let's see. There was not a lot of movies that came out back these days.
0: No. Sydney Poitier won for Lilies of the Field for Best Actor. Oh, good movie. Man.
1: Uh, we had Mo- Mothra versus Godzilla.
0: Really? In yeah. In the
1: Oscars? No, I'm just looking at the the list of films that came out.
0: Oh. Fistful of Dollars. Whoa, cool. oh, that's one of my favorite.
1: I love those those Eastwood movies Those are criminally underrated.
0: Oh, you see Cleastwood? Cleastwood. Clint Eastwood is something that we are uh I feel like we we don't mention very much on this show or somebody that we don't mention very much. Is
1: Fist here's the question though. Is fistful dollars the one with the pocket watch or is that for a few dollars more nope that's for a few dollars more anyway the guy that did the music for those uh Sergio Leone Clint Eastwood westerns just died and I was very sad I'm sorry to hear that I mean he was old as hell but he was a he's i think the the single most underrated cinema composer ever to live because he was making uh italian westerns in the 60s this is what what was that movie? Once upon a time in Hollywood was about. Yeah. Was those Eastwood westerns. So yeah, you had some good movies. What were the what what one best picture in
0: 1964? Uh I don't know I'm mean, I'm sure that, that existed. Uh Tom Jones won for John Addison for music. Uh My Fair Lady. No. Tom yes. Jones. What? what? What are you talking about? I don't know what I'm talking about.
1: The the Oscar winner for that year was My Fair Lady. The Best Picture. I'm looking at the right year? No. You gotta look at 65. Oh, you're
0: right. You are right. 37th Annual Academy Awards. Rex Harrison from My Fair Lady. Yes. I've yes. seen My Fair Lady. Uh Julie Andrews from and uh, Mary
1: Poppins. Yes.
0: Uh Not nominated is uh our old guy, uh, Sean Connery. Yeah, I didn't think so. No, me neither. I wouldn't have called this a uh, uh, crazy, amazing. No. Best Picture
1: nominees were My Fair Lady, Beckett, <laughs> Dr. Strangelove, Mary Poppins, and Zorba the Greek. I've seen four of those.
0: My Fair Lady uh swept. Yeah. Except for Julie Andrews. And Film Editing went to Mary Poppins as well, which I guess I guess makes sense yeah they had green screen interesting and left my fair lady not a foreign language film
1: no it did win for uh i mean uh mary Poppins won
0: for best song but not for best music which went to my Best fair story
1: lady. and screenplay written directly for screen father goose fantastic movie carrie grant good one
0: chim chimery chim chim, chim-, 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 chim- uh, yeah, uh, yeah i don't want chim- to talk about it i don't want to s- talk about uh. it that's not the i don't want to talk
1: about it goldfinger one for best sound effects there we go there we go gosh that sucks <laughs> I mean, I think that's all that, Um, like, what was it this year? Freaking Ford versus Ferrari won for. I think Ford versus Ferrari is probably better than this. Oh, absolutely is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I would, yeah. But- but you don't get Ford for Ferrari without James Bond. That's true. I mean, you might, but that's that's sort of the edge case there. Great movie. You still need to watch that. You're you're missing
0: out. I I know. That's that's on my list. Maybe we'll do that on the show. Um, Gladly, I own it.
1: Nice. I bought it because that was the only way to watch it, and I wanted to watch it on my flight home from Dubai. Well,
0: that's that's the best time to to dig deep into your Italian. I still haven't American. seen it on a
1: television. Just on my phone. So oh, I'm sure I missed some stuff.
0: Yeah, I do not like watching movies on my phone. I don't mind the iPad so much, but the phone yeah. is. Forrest Survivor was small. a
1: masterpiece of cinematography that lost for best cinematography to uh, 1917, which was a one-shot
0: movie. Uh, so, what what is what scenes do you love in this movie, Ethan? Like, break it down for me. Break down, like, gush on this so that I may gush on this because I, I want to love it.
1: So, I, honestly, I kind of forgot which back half this movie was. I I kind of lose the plot and and the idea of it, not the idea of it, but I kind of lose the the plot when James gets captured.
0: Yeah, I don't know why not captured but like after he gets time. captured
1: after he gets uh they, they burn him up on the table um once you start getting all the other investors and everything in it i kind of lose the whole thing but prior to that i really like a lot of things about this one as opposed to the other ones i you get to see a lot more of connery just kind of like living within the part in this one and obviously my comparisons are going to be to other movies that you haven't seen but you also don't need to see anything there's no origin story for james bond
0: i think that's part of the point that's part that of the point because like... dr
1: no was like the eighth book or something like that
0: right and it's supposed to be just this like and it existing.
1: It wasn't even originally the one they were going to do first. So like you didn't miss anything. There's no like Dr. No doesn't start with James Bond at like the spy academy. It starts with him right. hanging out with a woman and blowing something up. Like, right. That is how they all start. Uh, and then he shows up at MI6 and you don't get a lot of the crew in this one. There's not a
0: lot of, of M and Q and all them. There's the penny lover or whatever her name uh, is. Money penny. Money penny.
1: Yeah. But yeah, you, you don't get a lot. Like, we spend a lot of time with, especially in, in the Craig era, we spend a lot of time with those people. I think uh, Ray Fiennes, who played Voldemort, is now uh, M, but it was previously Juni Dench before that. Uh, you got, like, big actors playing that part now. M yeah. being the uh, the MI6 director person. The person James directly responds to, reports right. to. Um, uh, What was I going to say? I, I you- like the villain more here than I do, because this is your first, and, and for a while, the only villain that you actually get to, like, really talk to ever. Like, he and James have have like civil discourse for a while they play around a golf together yeah and you learn that like goldfinger always cheats always to the point where the caddy's like hey this is bs
0: right Um. i also one of the things i like or really dislike about goldfinger is that like i just feel so bad for the actor because all of the women in the entire movie are just like oh he's the worst i would never i'm only here for the money right and it's like oh but when he seems like like obviously his ambitions are inherently evil but he seems more or less like a nice enough guy
1: yeah i mean it seems like he's about as much fun to be around as donald trump well like even before donald trump
0: was president that's probably true i i I guess i don't want to defend goldfinger he's definitely not a a nice enough guy and he you know paints a woman gold I was under the impression that that happened more than once. I guess it was expensive to, like, make happen.
1: So the thing that, um, this is the wild thing. The thing that James talks about, like, oh, it happens all the time with cabaret dancers where he paints them gold, where they get painted gold and then they die. They get the, they, like, die from the body paint. Right. That, like, almost happened to her filming the movie.
0: Really? Yeah. That was, okay, so that was a very cool thing. I would, let me step back. That is a cool shot.
1: When he walks back in and she's laying there gold and dead?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's a cool shot. That's the like- sheriff's
1: house sends a message. Of it like is, maybe yeah, maybe don't mess with this guy maybe you right. kind of played this one a little close to the or a little uh, loose fast and loose here
0: yeah that's a I like that I mean I don't like it but you know what I'm saying
1: but so he's the first Goldfinger's the first person in this and any the first person for a while to never be intimidated by Bond yeah a- and I he's think got, you get a lot of valuable scenes there like even and, and this is the quintessential line from the movie and and Sean Connery's laying on the table with the laser and he's like what do you expect me to do Mr Goldfinger talk and he turns around and goes no Mr Bond I expect you to die and it's just like this dude's just gonna kill it like he doesn't care there's I nothing can't here he doesn't
0: kill him. Like that's that's one of the things frustrating about well, me is can't I don't kill James Bond. Well, obviously. But I I feel like maybe it's because we live in the superhero era, but there's no reason for James Bond to be alive. Like he's he's gotten lucky a few times up to this point, but I think he's got plot about... armor. He does have plot armor, but like think about Doctor Who. There's an episode where David Tennant as the Doctor like talks down the devil. Yeah. And he makes like a compelling argument, or Chris Eccleston talks down the plastic monster and like has a conversation with him. I don't feel like James Bond or Daniel Craig it's like, I got, you, you scratched my balls or something. I don't feel like uh, Connery has like a slick moment in the whole thing. I feel like he's just protected by the plot over and over again. And you're just supposed to accept that. And I don't feel like Mary Poppins was the same way. So I don't know that it's a, a time period thing.
1: It's not. It's, it's like, I mean, the movies made since then. Haven't done it any favors as far as this goes, but yeah. um, you're supposed to sort of like, they're, they're establishing something here where they're establishing James Bond having weaknesses here. Because he has just talked his way out of, or or shot his way out of everything prior to this.
0: But he's not... So they keep selling James Bond as this, like, this is an issue, if you, like, learn how to do creative writing, this is an issue that comes up a lot. Don't tell me James Bond is charming. Show me James Bond is charming with an actress that he has chemistry with, as opposed to... James Bond walks on a balcony, and this woman's okay with sleeping with him. Like, really sell me on the charm, because I don't feel like he's charming up to this point.
1: I would disagree with that. I, I think they have fine chemistry.
0: Maybe the girl on the balcony. Truthfully, I, with, I didn't but...
1: see any problems with the with him in the early part of this movie talking to people, especially women. Like, I well, didn't. I, I, I saw twenty
0: twenty problems with it.
1: Right? Not what I mean, Tyler.
0: Okay. <laughs> I just
1: yes, we get it. You're woke. I got it.
0: I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying it's... But we, we've pointed it out
1: 20 times now. Okay. Like, I, I let me finish a sentence. Okay. Um. Like, I, I get the vibe of him being... And maybe it's just because I am bought into this character. And, I, and I, I guess I'm bought into this character for reasons that I don't necessarily know that I can or want to explain. Like, I, I watch these movies and what do I specifically love about them? I, they're just escapist in a way that... Even the new ones are escapist in a way that I don't think you get from other movies. Because there's not fair. as much tension. There's not as much... Like, it is... It's just it is explosion for explosion's sake and it's charm for charm's sake. And there's not as much like stakes compared to some of the other movies, especially that, that came in the wake of this. Yeah, because if you watch a movie like Mission Impossible, it's all stake. Yeah, it's like I, I legitimately and this part of what I don't like about those movies is they take themselves too seriously for my take. Um, and great. I haven't seen the, the original ones in a long time. People gush over those movies for sure. Um not crazy but Tom Cruise. Never have been. Don't don't oh, buy him as an action star. But I'm willing to be wrong and 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 to cover Mission Impossible with Casey Winners, the biggest Mission Impossible fan in the world, who which is a fact I always forget. Um But, like, they they take themselves so seriously, and it's all tense, and it's all heavy. And, like, I don't—the Mission Impossible theme song is is, like, a classic piece of spy repertoire as far as music goes. But I don't think that the movie deserves those flutes, man. Like, it is too
0: heavy for flutes. That's a fair, uh, critique. And I, I didn't go into this thinking you were going to like this movie. I don't, I want to be clear. I didn't like dislike it. I don't know that I'll ever watch it again, but I wasn't like, this is the worst. Why did people say this is so great? Uh, I think there's definitely something to be learned here. It's definitely one of those things where you are like experiencing a cult classic for the first time and it doesn't make sense Yeah. Uh, because I'm not in on the joke for the rest of Bond. So it's like, I, I understand that I'm already behind. I just feel like. I don't know they they really lay on Sean Connery as being this like suave smooth talker because he was is the thing. Right. And I just, I'm just so not sold on it. Because you have the
1: benefit of, and I guess so do I, it's just, I, this is the kind of stuff that I was raised on. Like I had well, seen, like, I had seen Goldfinger before Robert Downey Jr. ever said his billionaire playboy philanthropist thing.
0: That's a good example. Tony has chemistry with the women in the films. When him and Pepper end up together, it's like, wow, that's a smart match. Well, that because really... they didn't
1: hire Gwyneth Paltrow because she was hot.
0: Okay, but when he hooks up with, uh, oh my God, if I forget the name, it's going to kill me. The girl in the, fr- the, fr- the journalist. Christine Everhart. Yes, Christine Everhart. That. That makes sense he has you know he has that interaction and i just don't feel like i don't know i i I wasn't sold on sean connery's being this like ultra handsome charming individual like
1: that is not what you got from war movies or previous spy movies he was the advent of the gentleman spy right that's fair it's like uh, and that's the thing is like colin firth can say his to his manners make his man thing because he came up in this school like that was his thing this is his predecessor
0: well and that's that's something they do smart with eggsy is they like like eggsy is not smooth with women no and and like where he has to interact with women the movie falters well
1: and He's a direct attack on them choosing Connery because like Connery is not a smooth talker by any means. He never has been. He's he's barely keeping the accent together in this movie. And people thought he was a garbage choice for James Bond, but they watched the movie in droves anyway because it was interesting and it was different to what had come out. And then you had Roger Moore after that, who is suave and debonair and looks like he would drink a martini and talks like he would drink a martini. And he really you know I'm James Bond, obviously.
0: Yeah, he's a pretty boy Bond. Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan is Pierce a pretty boy. But Pierce
1: Brosnan is the 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 apex of Bond for me. Like, I, I don't think the Craig movies are worse. I think the Craig movies aren't
0: Bond movies. I can definitely see that critique for sure. I but think not
1: that I don't like them. It's just like you had a peak there in the, in mid Brosnan. Like, Die Another Day was not the best movie, and and kind of sucks how they fired him by just like casting Daniel Craig and not telling him. Um, yeah. But like, the, the world's not enough. Tomorrow never dies. Those are awesome movies. Like straight up good. Those go to toe to toe with any Mission Impossible, Jason Bourne type movie because they allow the room for levity while still being a badass action movie. And they they rely on Pierce Brosnan, who can talk his way out of a room.
0: Yeah, he can he can convince the the baddie to give him another minute to give him another chance.
1: Like, I don't think that uh, and, and and maybe I made the wrong choice by, by telling you to watch this one, because maybe it'll sour you from Bond movies.
0: But like, no, I, no, it, it has not. I again, I, I, I do clear. think it's
1: worth going and watching a Roger Moore, a Dalton an early Brosnan and and just like comparing them, even even just one from each because obviously i don't want to cover every single bond again there's like 25 of them it's ridiculous right uh and there's, there's no point like we do not need to cover moonraker and thunderball and octopussy yeah for russia no. love is really good um the 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 roger moore ones are very good but like they are not they're not ever going to be serious the way movies are serious now and the way movies are serious before
0: then well and and the way movies are serious now is like that's why i love transformers 2007 this has more not- yeah
1: this has more to do with transformers 2007 and Iron Man 2008 than it does to do with like the movies that directly preceded it or
0: uh, succeeded. It. It's also why I like Tokyo Drift so much. Why? Because the stakes are so low. Yeah. Like, yeah, he has to go and like deal with the mob boss, but like really it's down to like the kid playing gangster and, and uh, Lucas Black.
1: I don't know. Even in Tokyo Drift, I felt some real fear for Sean there for a minute.
0: I felt some real sh- fear for Han. That's for certain. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> when he died.
1: Oh, he's not dead now.
0: I know. What a great... What a would great have, twist! Who'd have thought that like this random bonus character in Tokyo Drift would be like the best character in the whole? Fast and we those franchise? Movies?
1: We like I don't know. We're dancing so far around them and just we refuse to
0: do them because it's such a commitment. There's nine of them now. There's view, this got to be is this of is F nine has, has not is, come out. Okay, this is my fear with Fast and Furious. My fear is always that like, oh, I like those movies, but our audience hates them. And then anytime I talk to our audience about them, they're like, I love those movies. We have
1: a person in Discord that does a podcast about Fast and Furious. or like he and minute his friend- by
0: minute. Cover
1: the first all of them, I guess, but they're still in the first one, minute by minute. And here I, I like I requested specific minutes to come on as a guest.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I we're going because I'm gonna be sitting there gushing over uh freaking Tokyo Drift, and part of it feels like Tokyo Drift is mine. I don't want to share it with the world, but we're gonna be sitting there at the end of the episode, like, okay, is Tokyo Drift better than Whiplash?
1: <laughs> so here's my thing. The Fast and Furious movies have definitely gotten too serious for their own benefit, for sure.
0: Um, But they're also just as silly, like, driving cars through the towers in Dubai. Right, but now, like,
1: now, like, Idris Elba is in the universe as, like, a proper supervillain. Yeah. (laughs) And so, like... (laughs) But you look at, so I think there's two in the canon that you can talk about. Tokyo Drift, and, and I love Tokyo Drift, and I understand that everybody's, it's almost everybody's least favorite, um because it doesn't have anybody from the series in it. It doesn't have Dom or Brian. But the first the first one is legitimately a good movie. Yeah, the first two are. Two Fast and Furious eh, is a great film. Eh. Fast, two Fast and Furious is one of the weaker ones in the canon. Is it? Yeah, because like, like Fast Five is better than Two Fast and Furious, because then you have like The Rock in there.
0: Is Fast Five the one where Rock just decides his arm isn't broken anymore?
1: I think so. It's the one where he like pile drives the dude through the table gosh also i think he died no i I believe that he died in hobson shaw i have not seen hobson shaw i don't want somebody to tell me if he does but like He's not listed among the cast for Fast 9, for F9.
0: That's insane.
1: Yeah, Luke Hobbs, RIP,
0: apparently. So just, just to give you a, a frame of reference. No, F, no, you're right. I'm sorry, F9 is not out yet. Uh, yeah, it was supposed to come out this spring. For a frame of reference, Fast and Furious through Fast and Furious, the first four are all rotten. Fast 5 is the first with a fresh score at 77, uh, certified fresh. 6 is non-certified at a 70. Furious 7 is an 82, certified fresh. Fate is a 60. Well, because
1: after four is when they really start to get like emotional about it they start to like actually write them well yeah whether and i don't like them as much because, because again they become sort of just generic action movies like they're gonna score well the same way that like the jeremy renner born movie scored well right Where there's, I, I, people are, there's so are much expecting... less character to it and so much more hollywood appeal right there's much less like you can have any brew you want as long as it's a corona And so much more, like, (laughs) hey, we gotta save the world from a Brazilian supervillain who's decided to. They're they're just James Bond movies with cars, with more cars that aren't Aston Martins. Right.
0: What do you think of the DB five? We haven't talked about the car at all,
1: dude. It's one of my favorite cars to ever live, just because of this movie. Because it's the it's the quintessential Bond car. Yeah. I mean, like, it's cool. I have always he drives the Aston Martin, and then uh, Goldfinger has the old school rolls. Yeah. But like that Aston Martin DB five was so cool, man. It's like one of the it's most valuable cool. cars ever made to this day. Just the, the the general DB5 for that reason. Cost.
0: If you want a 64 DB5, it's $4.6 million. Yeah,
1: which is more than this movie costs to make. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's like the, you know, they're up to like the DB11 or whatever. And they're cool. They're very cool. I mean I would drive one for sure. Somebody was okay, like, here, so here's a brand new acid Martin. I'd be like, okay,
0: thank you. Uh, done. That specifically the one from this film went for 4.6 million uh, if you were to just buy one from nineteen sixty four, you're looking at four hundred and fifty thousand dollars. It's a lot of money for an old car that doesn't work very well. Right. And doesn't have cool gadgets or machines. Doesn't have cool guns. gadgets
1: or probably air conditioning at all. <laughs> That's true. That oh, being said, man. I would rather have the like the, the Ford GT that won Lamont than this yeah but I would the car the cars have always been a big part of Bond man I, I like the cars and the gadgets and like I could just live inside that world of like because those scenes in the in the later movies get longer where you get to like experience all of Bond's cool ass gadgets and like he gets to do actual stuff with the ejector seats and they're really just you can see them trying things out here
0: yeah when they say the ejector seat I just think it's so funny <laughs> and honestly like, like
1: I don't I don't think I have a good reason nor do I think I need to have a good reason for liking this movie like this movie is a movie I grew up watching and it's a movie I grew up watching with my dad. And and like, I like the whole series because that was a thing that we did together is we would watch the Bond marathons that they would put on TCM and just like, I've seen every Bond movie through the first, through the Craig years, so many times just from them just being on at my house. Like my dad only played Schlesinger golf balls because of this movie. Really? Yeah. That was a big thing he took away from this in like the the weird, like way that my dad would take things away is he would like seek out Schlesinger golf balls because that's what Art Goldfinger played.
0: That's pretty cool. So
1: like, there's definitely a non-zero amount of nostalgia factor here for me on this movie.
0: I- I don't think you need an excuse. I think it's a cool movie and it's got a 99% audience or critic rating on Rotten Tomatoes. I think I'm definitely in the minority being like, so there's no doubt But you're doubt also about pretty that.
1: cold on older movies in general.
0: I am cold on older yeah. movies in general. And it is it is genuinely something I liked more. Like, I, I so badly want to learn how to watch these films from a lens of, like, things were different then and being able to suspend my belief for this writing that, that is in a way that people don't talk. And I, I would I would very much like to be able to watch these movies from that lens. We, gotta, guess, you said, we gotta make you watch yet. some
1: movies that are like, like, I like this and I like Mary Poppins, but, like, those aren't, I mean, they were, they, Mary Poppins was a, like, technical masterpiece or whatever and it was a big old disney sing-along fun time but it's not like i wouldn't say it's the greatest script ever written
0: no I and agree. like back in
1: the day they could still write some damn good movies
0: yeah because they i mean they still were people
1: like I, I think you would genuinely like a movie like the good the bad and the ugly more than this like like a movie that was considered f- time because it was an italian western with clint eastwood
0: well and i i do like my fair lady you've seen my fair lady you haven't of course i have tyler yeah i've seen my fair lady
1: of course I have.
0: I think My Fair Lady is excellent. I've seen Breakfast at Tiffany's, which I know is older, I think. Yeah, uh, that was late 60s. Audrey Hepburn. Oh, I knew it was old. I meant I, I thought it was older than this, but oh, I don't, I don't uh, know. 61. Uh, look at that. And, and Breakfast at Tiffany's was one that I feel like I remember watching and being like, man, you don't think that the writing is going to be so good in these older films? And look at this.
1: Oh, no, it is. It's there. It's not there in Mary Poppins. It's not there in this.
0: Right. And uh,
1: yeah, you get a good, a good Audrey Hepburn, a good Cary Grant. You know a good uh, Jimmy Stewart. You go watch uh, "It's a Wonderful Life." Like, yeah, it's long, but like that is exceptional writing.
0: Yeah, but I do uh, granted, like it's a
1: Christmas movie, and so it gets written off because it's a Christmas movie. But like that is a genuinely like tear jerking movie.
0: I do feel like I've been I've been harsh on this film, and it, more of it is I'm trying to understand how to like it than there's a learning I, curve than, for sure. Than overtly saying I didn't like it because I don't want to say that. Like I, I run into the same problem. I've got a couple points here, so stick with me. Yeah, I run into the same problem when reading comic books where. Uh, there's like certain time periods where if you are not like well versed in how books were written in that time, they're hard to read and they don't make sense and they're confusing. And like the way we watch movies now and the way we consume media now makes it much, much easier to pick up a 2020 copy of Spider-Man than 1995. Uh, Oddly enough, like early, early Spider-Man is extremely easy to read. Um, It's just cheesy and you have to accept that. Um, But then moving on from that, I do remember watching this film because I watched the first half of it last week when we were going to cover it last week. Um, And then I did not rewatch the beginning half of it. I just picked it up from the second half. And I do remember I was on the exercise bike when I was watching it and Emily came in and she said, how's the movie? And I said, it's extremely good. So I do know that like I liked it and I was fascinated by how things were done and how things were shot. And the one thing that really caught me was the helicopter shots. I thought that was so cool. Um, And I I like the moment in the beginning little scene where he uh, throws like the the heater into the uh, bathtub as like a way to get out of the fight and like save himself i thought that was brilliant and then uh moving on from that i didn't know i loved the shot with the the dead girl with the gold um i did not know how they were gonna do the bond song yeah that was awesome the,
1: like, uh, the double exposures, everything in, in gold and, like, scenes from the movie. Yeah. Talking like, of, like the proper intro. On,
0: yeah, like, projected on people's faces yeah. and everything.
1: This is, uh, this is the, the, one of the quintessential Bond songs for sure. Because this is before they started getting, like, famous people to do them. Right. I mean, I'm sure that whoever did that was, like, a singer. But it's kind of hard to listen to. Like, she has a, a absolutely grating voice.
0: Yeah, but that's, like, it, it goes with the film.
1: But it goes with the film, yeah. And it's, it's, like, the quintessential song. You get those crazy, like, harmon muted horns. Or not harmon muted, the, yeah. the plunger horns. The yeah, and like you can hear the 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 score for Ocean's Eleven being written, right? But I, yeah, this the, the the James Bond theme song is a work of master uh, masterpiece, and the fact that it's not ever like it's never the theme to the movie. Yeah. It is just like that is James Bond's like light motif, um, and this one I, I, it has exceptionally good music.
0: There were a few, mo- more than one scene where I was like, "Could you just not afford more music?" I would have liked something here.
1: I mean, movies were quieter back then. Yeah, for sure. I think
0: that's for sure a time period thing. Yeah, but
1: movies were quieter back then.
0: Not Mary Poppins, dude. There's not so many and not songs all of them, but it's movie. the same
1: deal with like you know, this isn't a movie that was nominated for for Best Picture, right? Right. Like if you go back and, and watch the five Best Picture nominees from every year, you're gonna see a pretty good subsection of like what the best of the best was at that point like what they had to offer right Whereas the same in, in like in 40 years you're not going to be like hey kids go up you might but like the average person not gonna be like hey kids go watch Transformers 2007 that was a really defining moment in cinema history <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know you, you, you uh, what we're we talking about Ford for Safari, one for like sound mixing, right? And it's like those the sound editing, sound design, whatever. And the two people did the sound design had, have like 10 Oscars to their name. And, and, and then you think about like, well, why don't you just get all... Oh, because those people are busy. Right. Like they're the best of the best. They can only work on so many movies. Right. Uh, and that's just not the way movies work. And more movies come out now than have ever come out. Well, not now, but in 2019, m- more movies came out than like every year prior. You watch The Holiday and Eli Wallach from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly is sitting there going like, I remember when pictures used to come out, you know, once every two weeks.
0: That's how things are now. I say
1: are now, but like, you know, you look at your normal box office week on a normal week. It's like 14 movies came out this week.
0: Fun fact about sound mixing, uh, Transformers was nominated for three Oscars in sound mixing, sound editing, and visual effects.
1: Um, to your point, though, about about there being a different language to movies and, and, and it being kind of hard to pick up. I agree with you. I certainly do. But I think that movies are among the easiest things to pick up because, like, if you read a book written before, like, 1990, it doesn't sound like what books sound
0: like. Right, it's wrong. Because like,
1: I had to look it up because I couldn't necessarily think of any books that I had read from the sixties because I assumed that most of the books that I read in the sixties were older than they were. But like, you, know, you read you read To Kill a Mockingbird, and that's a book that they teach you in school about like how language worked back then and like the literally the problems of abusive language. Right, and like you you read uh, people writing in the sixties. Like, I imagine you'd have a hard time getting through. Maybe not Vonnegut. Vonnegut was sort of ahead of his time, but I think you would find the language in in Vonnegut's books shocking just not the profanity but just like the way he talked you go to like Vonnegut or Salinger writing Catching the Rye in the late 50s you go earlier than that to like if you picked up a Hemingway book right now there's a certain level of of you're gonna have to dive into it and look things up and like figure stuff out as to how to read The Sun Also Rises like it's not it's, you, you can't just pick it up you could pick up a James Bond movie and figure out what's going on and
0: follow it I'd be curious to see if the same is true about reading the Bond books
1: Um, I mean, the Bond books are definitely uh, pulpier. They're definitely more general fiction. Yeah, I'm curious
0: to read one now. I might Like, they're they're better
1: than your average beach house book, to my knowledge. I also read them when I was like 14.
0: Because they're like, they're almost books for kids. 14-year-old me would would have very much appreciated the kind of man James Bond was. Yeah, for sure. uh, 27-year-old me would much rather read J.D. Salinger. 27-year-old you reading Vonnegut on the beach is... I mean, that's an album cover right there.
1: I have read every novel Kurt Vonnegut ever wrote. Really? Really. Yeah. I want, I I spent a whole summer, not a summer, but like a period of time because they're short. I mean, they were there. That's like, that was the thing back then. People didn't write. I mean, still to this day, like f- most fiction isn't long books. Like most like the, the things that would pull surprises usually aren't epic fantasy length.
0: I tell you, can I tell you just real quick, just a a quick aside. I was on Audible the other day and it was like, oh, I think you'd like this book. It's a fantasy series. And I was like, oh, I love fantasy series. It's got a lot of reviews. Maybe I will like it. Uh, And so I clicked on it and it was like, this is book six of seven. And I was like, okay, cool. cool. So there's seven books. How long is it? And it was like 56 hours and book seven was longer than that. But this is the part that blew my mind. Book one was under 10 hours. You know what's surprisingly short? Them Hunger
1: Games books. Yeah, they're quick. 11 hours. I just finished the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. you good? It is good. It is it is very good. But I also understand everybody that doesn't like it. Yeah. Because I had, I literally, like I finished mocking Jay, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, the copyright, 2019, Scholastic Publishing. And then I opened up Audible and, and went, okay, Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Hello, I'm Santino Fontana. This is the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Like, it was that quick. Five minute turnaround. And I think that if I had waited any number of days, that I would not care about the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Because <laughs> the first... Eight hours of it is just like Coriolanus Snow describing how The Hunger Games
0: used to be. How they used to be great or how they used to be? No, how they, just how
1: they used to be different. Just general different. It's just people describing and explaining things. And if I didn't care, because it's so ungodly referential that if I didn't have intimate working knowledge of how The Hunger Games worked in year 75, I would not care how they worked in year 10. But I was sitting there like, wow, it's so different! Because I had just listened to, to 30 hours of The Hunger Games. Right. After that, it gets good. It actually starts to get... Plot heavy and uh, hits way too close to home. Yeah, D- li- no, like literally close to home. Like I've always thought, like, oh yeah, you know, I live in the heart of District Twelve, whatever. you live in Coal Country, and now I'm sitting here like this could take place in Boones Mill. <laughs> like this is up the street because this you see, is right you see there. a, you see a capital, and to a much more extent, a District Twelve that still has culture. This still has like leftover culture from America, right? So it's good. I mean, I, I enjoyed it, but anyway, uh, yeah. So one time I read all of the Kurt Vonnegut books and. And the librarian at the Roanoke Public Library thought I was crazy because I was like a 15 year old kid coming in every other
0: day to check out a new Kurt Vonnegut book. That is wild. I don't think I've ever read Vonnegut. I would like to. I'd like to consume more, more stuff like this. Uh, that was back literally... when I used to,
1: I would like, I would find out like the books that would have been summer reading books, but like they weren't allowed to teach us.
0: Mm. And so I
1: read a bunch of those. And I was, there was, I was big on, cause Vonnegut writes semi-dystopian fiction. Like Vonnegut Re- writes the the Venn diagram, the middle of the Venn diagram between uh, dystopian and like magic
0: realism. Well, that sounds like my kind of writing. So it's
1: like magic realism, but everything sucks. I think
0: my problem with books, man, and this isn't a problem. This is a good thing. But my problem is I always pick up books I've read. Like, it's very rare for me to reread a book. Yeah, I mean not reread a book. Yeah, it's very rare to me for me to read a new book, new to me book. I'm trying. And I think that's that's where uh, that's where like Potter is an issue because what that has taught me through my life is every time you pick these up, they're still gonna be good. That's probably true with all books
1: you've read. So here's literally what I did. This is my thought process, right? Mm-hmm. I, I knew Hank Green had a new book coming out, right? So I logged uh-huh. into Audible to buy it. And Audible like was like, you have 12 credits and one of them's expiring tomorrow. You need to use these. And I was like, okay, guess I haven't bought a book in a literal year. Cool. Sounds great, Audible. And so I bought A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor and I bought because I saw that The Hunger Games had new um, audiobooks that are actually listenable and good compared to the old mm-hmm. ones. And so I bought all those and I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and listen to the one that everybody says is bad. And then I just like bought a bunch of random books that I've never read before, but not like random, like the, like I listened to like the highly reviewed ones and the and the things and I bought a bunch of books that I'd never read before. And I was like, I'm going to get myself into a rhythm of listening to books by listening to stuff that I've already listened to. And then I'm going to listen to the new ones. And so that's where I'm at right now is, is picking my next
0: book. I've been listening to a genre that you have no interest in for. Which is what? Like self-help. Not self-help. Self-help sounds like the the wrong way to put it.
1: Oh, no. I listen to fiction. But, I like fiction books.
0: Yeah. But like business and, and and in that genre, there is definitely things where I'm like, oh, I love this. This is very good. Like David Goggin's book. Amazing. Uh, but now I'm re- listening to Simon Sinek. And I feel like all it would take for me to not listen to Simon Sinek is like one comment on Facebook of somebody being like, yeah, but have you considered? And then it's like, oh man, I ruined the whole thing. I don't know who Simon Sinek is. You, you have seen him. Um, he is this sort of like Elon Musk meets Edward Snowden looking guy. And he has some talk that gets published on Facebook every so often about like kids in the internet. I don't know. It's, it's something you've, you've seen him talk before. I guarantee it.
1: Here's my thing about, um, a lot of those books is I am just so deeply underrated interested in what people who are older than me that I don't know have to say about how I'm living my life.
0: I I think my my big thing with self-help is I I, I very intentionally examine the person and see if the type of success they have is the type of success that I want. And a lot of times it's not, you know? I mean, don't don't tell me how to live my life your way, because I don't want to live it your way. Right, like I... And I'm not super interested in being David Goggins, who is the only human being to ever be an Army Ranger, a Navy SEAL, and Air Force airdrop pilot or not pilot uh, jumper. Like I don't want that life. I don't want any of those things, but I do think there is something to be learned from seeing how somebody achieves those goals as well as he's just the the ghostwriter he uses writes in such a way that it is like very easy to be long-term motivated and passionate about your interests in ways that I feel like other writers are not. Fair. Yeah. yeah, most ghostwriters aren't great. This dude is very good, and there. Yeah, if you do listen to it, and I don't think you will, but if you do, the the audiobook version of it is top tier uh, because it is the book. It would probably be like an eight hour read, and this is a twelve hour audiobook. Uh, and like in between each chapter, David pops in and he talks with the narrator, who is also the ghostwriter, and they just talk about like the interviews they had that went into like making that story happen, and you know different things like that. Is I, I really really enjoyed it, and now that I'm on to reading like more traditional businessy books, I find myself being very quick. I mean, like,
1: I am actually listening I'm to bored. nonfiction right now. Well, not right oh, now. I'm, I'm recording to you know, a podcast right now, but I'm listening to uh, Sarah Gurist Green's book. You are an artist. Oh, that sounds awesome! About staying creative in a world that prevents you from being creative. That is very cool. And that's the kind of success I want to have. Right. That's that's more what I'm interested in than than David Goggins. I would watch David Goggins like I, I've listened to his episode on Joe Rogan and it was great, but I would not want to listen to, I don't think, 12 hours
0: of what he has to say. It's it's much more memoir than how to. And it just explains like this is what the SEAL program was like. This is what the Ranger program was like. This is what it was like to be abused as I was growing up. And it's it's an interesting narrative. He he the like it is very clear when he hops on the mic why he needed a ghostwriter so badly, because his thoughts are definitely not as organized. Or oh, as sure. relatable. Uh, so it's I, I like it in that sense. But I'm also just fascinated by the guy, and he comes and like regularly speaks in my Industry, yeah. So knowing that is, is also like you as well.
1: get you get your kicks listening to like uh, Gary Vaynerchuk and Jesse Itzler talk, and I have no interest in what those dudes have to say.
0: Yeah, I I, I find them both to be interesting. Um, like that does the opposite. Listening
1: to, to Gary Vaynerchuk say anything does the opposite of motivating me.
0: I just shared a picture in the chat. This is Simon Sinek from the video that you've definitely seen. I think it's called the Millennial Problem.
1: And see, that's the thing I'm I'm super not interested in is like again what people who are older than me think about my. I have not seen this dude ever. Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. But I also don't. I specifically cater my feeds to not show me things like that. Like I, I don't care what other people think the problem with millennials are. I wouldn't oh, I say don't. that my I, generational I think- identity is particularly strong or that it's something I need shaken
0: out of me. Well, and I generally disagree with with that sp- specific speech the book that i'm currently reading was from prior to that talk or at least appears to be and is a lot more generalized on business and and framing your message which is valuable and he basically just he he closely analyzes from 2010 like from the lens of it being 2010 not yeah 2010 to now uh southwest and apple and gm and how they like shaped their messages to be Industry giants That's fair And it's interesting But it is also harder To listen to Than a cool narrative About a man becoming A Navy SEAL Yeah I just generally Prefer um, to listen to stories And that, that is a That is a thing
1: right. I am constantly Being called to defend For
0: whatever reason I, uh, don't, I don't think You need to defend that I uh, think uh, more I, people... I do
1: though As, as a millennial Of uh, especially With people who Either listen to The things that you're Talking about Or listen to like Comedy memoirs By famous
0: white people And I'll be I like Hey but listen. have
1: you Thought about a book That somebody like Wrote you know With a story they, mad, they made up They're kind of cool Sometimes people be like Um but why would I listen to that when I could listen to Amy Poehler.
0: I've not read her books, but I feel like, I feel like that that's, that's such a weird dichotomy because in the film, nobody by and large watches documentaries. I would
1: much rather watch a documentary than read a, especially an autobiography. Yes. Like but far and away, I would rather watch a documentary. I think that that is a more effective storytelling method for the true stories of people's lives. What about, like,
0: listen to Joe Rogan versus...
1: Joe Rogan, I have no desire to listen to Joe Rogan. I mean, I listen to him occasionally. If there's somebody, like, you know, because I listened to the Elon Musk episode, right? When that one went around. I listened to the big ones.
0: I wouldn't even say I listened to the big ones. I would say I listened to the Elon Musk episode. I've listened to, I've listened to quite a few.
1: I've I listened listen to... I've listened to more
0: than one. There's yeah, no doubt. I've listened
1: but. to him tell some... Because he is a very good interviewer, and I've listened to him tell some... Or listen to... Talk to people that have, t- have some pretty incredible stories to tell. Like, I listened to the one with the guy that got his head cut open by the bear right mm-hmm. that was the one that went around for a while and and i have no problem with the i mean i have my my share of issues with joe rogan and his sort of uh whole thing but like i don't gain anything out of listening to joe rogan for hours on end like it doesn't inspire me to do anything and that's the same way i feel about like a watching a speech by gary vanderchuk it doesn't inspire me to do anything
0: gary vanderchuk is interesting to me because and i'm is... not by any
1: means trying to tell you this that you're wrong this this is just two ways that we don't see eye to eye and we've, we've come to arguments about it before but that's not what i'm trying to do here
0: no and, and, and I, I think I think what's interesting to me is I like a lot of the things I enjoy about podcasting is and about business is finding ways to love the process as opposed to like monotonously exist in the process. And one of the things I like about specifically Gary Vaynerchuk is that he's talking about the process and he genuinely loves it. And I don't necessarily want to be him or have the kind of success that he has, but being able to converse with somebody, even if I'm not talking back to him, being on the receiving end of that conversation of somebody who is like, this is the process. And this is what I love about the process. I, in his case, a lot of times he's preaching the same thing, which I think is interesting. However, you know, 10 years, he's been giving the same advice and it's continued to work for him um and and so many people who offer like seminars or webinars on how to grow in social media or whatever are lying right they're, right. they're making money selling seminars not and they're they're growing selling webinars not uh not actually teaching you how to grow Yeah, there's, they're not any different from any other pyramid schemes right and uh that that's an important lesson to learn like there's nothing wrong with watching those webinars they've got some decent fundamental tips that are going to be helpful to you
1: there's wrong with paying a lot of money for those so there's, there's wrong with wrong, paying a lot it, of
0: money for those there's absolutely something wrong with paying a lot of money but when they offer you the free one and they're like i'll go over 10 tips that i do every day like if you have no idea how to use instagram maybe maybe do those 10 things right uh but you don't pay for the service or the Facebook group or anything like that. You don't need it. I promise. But also like whenever
1: you watch one of those growth seminars, the number one piece of advice they give you, and it's buried in here a lot of times, the number one piece of advice they give you is make the thing you want to make and get lucky.
0: Yeah. And the big thing on social media to remember is it's social media. If you want to meet people, you need to speak up.
1: Right. It's also increasingly more so every day worthless.
0: Yeah. Like there are people on TikTok who have millions of followers and are verified and have made zero dollars doing TikTok. Yeah.
1: None. I mean, they they get some ad revenue. Still, your best bet if you want to be famous is to be a YouTuber. Like, if you want to be, like, internet famous. Yeah. Still to this day. Because you might be Joe Rogan as a podcaster and catch a check for 100 bills, but you're probably not gonna... That's only happened once.
0: Right. He's like Joe you over. might,
1: you might get to be, and one day I hope that I get to be Joseph Fink and just kind of like make things and, and do it my way. And I hope that that works for me. I don't know that it's going to, but I, I hate business, man. I hate thinking about business and like being involved in the business world. I've always hated it. I hate it when I did sales. I've hated it trying to like grow myself as a photographer, um, which I did, you know, pretty successfully do. And then I had a lot of it taken away by the thing that's taken a lot of it away from every everybody right now. Uh, yeah. And that sucks. And it, you know, realistically I've had to start coming to grasp with the fact that I probably won't achieve that dream because of COVID. Um, I mean, you
0: might. There's no reason why once everything goes goes you know, quasi back to normal, you can't photograph people anymore.
1: That's true, but like I, it's gonna be complicated for sure. Um, because it, when we go back to it, I don't think a lot of the jobs that I had were are. Gonna be there still, or are gonna be mine still? And you're gonna have a lot of more and better established people now vying for those same opportunities that were previously already engaged in opportunities. That's
0: fair. And I so, mean, like, you might, I think there's gonna be a certain period of everyone has to go back to the grindstone and do jobs for free, right? And that sucks.
1: Well, jobs. For, uh, everybody's gonna have to go back and do jobs for free, and also like I'm gonna have to start like working at Starbucks. That sucks too. And and it's just gonna like eliminate free time that I have to work on those things because the money just isn't there anymore, right? Uh, but also a lot of what I was gonna do this year was going to establish and cement my name in that job market. And like in 2021, I probably would have been pretty okay and and, and been able to, to make a, a, a decent living out of it. And I don't know that that's going to be the case that that's not going to happen, but I'm, I kind of have to plan right now as though it's not going to happen. So like right now for me, especially in the middle of a, a pandemic where I'm prevented mostly from doing the thing that I'm trying to do, uh, to listen to like Gary Vaynerchuk talk about like, get up at 4am and, and you know, do the damn thing until it doesn't work anymore. Like that is, that just makes me want to go back to bed this point.
0: So I think I think that message gets lost in a lot of stuff. I feel like I definitely understand how like the culture of those types of speakers definitely comes across as wake up at 4 a.m. and hustle until midnight and then eat your breakfast and sleep for two hours. Gary Vee specifically does like a, a really good job of being like, do you're the kind of person that needs sleep, then sleep. If you like your passion and want to do it for 30 minutes a day, do it for 30 minutes a day. Be realistic with yourself. If you need to work on your thing for 30 minutes a day, it's gonna take 80 times as long as if you want to do it for 40 hours a week. But if that's all you can muster to it or if that's all you want to do to it that's fine
1: right but then he comes right on the heels with that of like it's not fine though like because it, it stops at some point with him it stops being motivational and it starts being like and i get that his whole thing is like he wants to partially weed people out who don't actually want to do the thing and, and you have to have that conversation with a lot of people and we have that conversation with a lot of people who want to start podcasting like you know if you're not willing to commit to it maybe don't do it, but also like there's
0: realistic expectations.
1: Yeah. There's a middle ground here between do it for 30 minutes a day and work on it a second, 40 hours on top of your 40 to 60 hour job. Right. And that's what I think gets lost a lot with, and maybe the message is there with guys like Gary Vaynerchuk, but like it it is, it gets lost so easily because he's saying so much of the, like, you gotta be working on it 40 hours a week or you're never going to succeed, even if you have another 40 hour. Right. And that's just, it's, it, it, yes, that would be ideal, but that is not Realistic case for 99% Of people
0: well and, and a lot of times what, One of the things I think that I don't know how we Got to this from bond I'm so sorry listener Who expected us to stay on topic I really tried For a long time on this. we've been one. on I this really topic did. Uh yeah, we have. But one of the things I think is so important is uh in regards to like spend 40 hours a week on it and and podcasting and things is one of the things I think Gary Vaynerchuk does well is convincing you and a lot of people miss this message, but convincing you to put yourself out there, give it your all and really try a creative project and fail. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Or, or start a business. You know, decide you make designer towels now and you do the whole thing and you find the fabric and you you sell it and you talk to the vendors and you promote it on instagram and it just doesn't work and that is like an incredibly valuable experience yes yeah, for sure um,
1: but i also think that like a lot of that gets lost for a lot of people because gary Vaynerchuk's a huge douche
0: yeah and he's, he's I, I don't necessarily condone him as a human being um
1: he's also never had to live
0: the way he tells people to live is the problem yes he has
1: no he hasn't he was
0: rich from the get that is not true yes it
1: is his he he, he inherited a successful company
0: he inherited a small wine store and turned it into like an empire
1: okay so he inherited he started he didn't start at zero though it was not a small wine store everyone has opportunities right but he also does a good job of minimizing the fact
0: that he ever had an opportunity i, I think if you heard his story you would I, I I mean, yeah he, but he
1: has not sold me on why i want to hear
0: his story he sold me on why he's a dick i'll tell you the one thing i like about him is that he he Tells you to always be on Instagram and do this, that, and the other. At any time, I open an Instagram account that follows him, which I do not, but our brand does. His stories float to the top because he's constantly posting, and that is valuable because it's like, "Hey, have you tried this?" And it's like, "No, I have not." And he's it is is very interesting to me the psychology and the like, his ability to get to me to watch his content right so consistently. But that to me is more yeah. fascinating than anything.
1: But this is there's a certain amount of, and this is this is what gets lost with motivational speakers and, and dudes like David Goggins. Like David Goggins is not a. Normal normal person. No. David e. Goggins has and 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 maybe he developed it from what I understand he developed it down the line, but he has a superhuman level of dedication and resolve.
0: Yeah. I mean, it also like to the point that like he- If you you were to read his book, and and I don't expect you to, between when we last spoke about this and now, ten minutes ago, I'd be more interested
1: in reading a David Goggins book than most of the people you talk about. Same,
0: I wouldn't read Gary Vaynerchuk's book for any reason. I
1: wouldn't live. That's I wouldn't read my life with a seal
0: by Jesse Itzler. Oh, I would. I would read it again. I loved it. Uh, That's a narrative, though. That's entirely narrative. But uh, David Goggins is the way he is because of the hardships that he experienced growing up that I could never possibly relate to, like even a little bit. I right. did not work in my father's roller rink from midnight to 6 a.m. every day and then go to school and have to hide my bruises. And I'm not saying that he's lucky for that. He absolutely is not. That's the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. But because I don't have those awful experiences, I'm not able to push myself in the ways that he is. Right. I've never experienced that kind of pain and I couldn't. Shin splints kill me.
1: Right. Well, And, and, and a lot of my immediate, um, pushback that I've always given about stuff like this is like, this was the desire to listen to people like that was beaten out of me within my first year and a half working in like financial sales.
0: I think you worked in a much more toxic environment than a lot of the places I've worked. Yeah. hundred percent. No,
1: I absolutely did. hundred percent. Yeah. Like, yeah, it sucked that they were like, Hey, sell a bunch of furniture, sell a bunch of cars. I had to listen to some every, every month, twice a month. Sometimes I would have to go to the Courtyard Marriott and listen to some minor league Gary Vaynerchuk type stand up on a stage for an hour and tell me why I'm a worthless person. Because I yeah. have a second job working as a I, I I make a podcast. Why that's a waste of my time. Why having a girlfriend's a waste of my time. Why, why I should never have bought a car. Why I should not rent an apartment and, and should like have bought a house at 19 or whatever.
0: Right. And, and just all, all these, these
1: unrealistic expectations of people to not have lives. And like, I worked for a guy who expected me to give my everything to him for $11 an hour. Yeah. And that sucks. Who expected me to work 60 hours and be paid for 40.
0: Yeah. And that sucks.
1: And like, I found out very quickly that I wasn't that guy. I'm never going to be that guy. If you're going to pay me for 40 hours, I'm going to work for 40 hours. End of story. Yeah. Um. And so that was just like, that was, it is not something that I respond to anymore because I, I listen to so many of those people just- talk me for years
0: well and i think even in my professional career i've definitely gone from like being super gung-ho on these types of speakers and these types of like you know inspirational whatever to i see through a lot of it and i don't care for a lot of it and i don't match the goal of a lot of it like for a lot of them it's like how can i most easily make a million dollars i have such little desire to be a millionaire same i like That sounds nice. It sounds comfortable to never have to worry about money. But in the city I live in, I could have a pretty big house for like a decent amount of money that my kids would be super comfortable in and my parents didn't pay for my college and i'm not like drowning over here so well, and like, I, I, I don't mind having my kids pay for part of that so yeah and by no means is this just a
1: problem in um in in in, in motivation specifically in finance like this is still a huge problem in even the creative the creative world because like i uh you you, you go on, on on things like um maybe not skillshare because that's like a s- sort of specific like platform for like learning things directly learning things mm-hmm. but you get you buy like a if you find a photographer you like like, like, uh, I didn't do I didn't purchase it because the, the free trial thing didn't sell me. There's a, a street photographer named Joel Meyerowitz, and he's like one of the top guys ever to do the thing. And he, he you know, has made hundreds of thousand dollars selling photography books and, and maybe millions. Not really sure. And, and selling prints and stuff. And like this dude completely minimized any amount of of right place, right time, any amount of like luck that he had, any amount of, of knowing somebody he had that led to his success. His whole shtick in his, his masterclass was like, yep, if you get up every day and you go out and you shoot at sunrise, you will succeed. And it's just, that's BS. Did you try it? Okay. But yes, I mean, that's, that's sort of what I, well, not recently. I've been on a little bit of a slump uh, with my photography recently. I'll be real with you. I don't know why necessarily. I'm sort of trying to dig out of that right now, but like, yeah, I went out and shot every day. And that made me better and it got me jobs and it got money in my pocket. And but it, it, it didn't make me successful immediately. It, it like there's still a level of like you have to go out there and do the business and do the thing. It's like the art will come if you do the right thing. But this dude just was straight up like trying to minimize any level of his own success factoring into his success.
0: Well, I think I think well, I mean, when you have X Factor sales folks, they never know. Right. And if they're in a different industry but they're still that same person, they still don't realize they are what they are.
1: Right. It's like you and can be very, 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 very good at basketball. LeBron James is going to be better at basketball than you are. Right. He's an X Period. factor person.
0: Right. Period. And and in sales, there's a lot of these people and companies will just burn through employees until they get one.
1: Yeah. I worked with one of these dudes straight up.
0: Yeah. I've worked with one in most companies I've worked for. I've worked with one now where they're just like everything they say prints money. Yeah. And part of it is, I mean, of all of these people, there's definitely a consistency of they're willing to put in 65 hours a week where a lot of others aren't. But they're also like, I don't know. I feel like they saw success when they were doing 40 hours a week. And then they're like, oh, well, I, this is all I need. So I'm single and I live in an inexpensive place and I just want to make my bank account get to a million. And a lot of people are really money motivated. And I am not. I am money motivated to the extent that I want my wife and children to want for nothing.
1: Yeah. I'm currently money motivated to the point where I would just like to be able to pay all of my bills every month making things that I make.
0: I would also like that, but I can't. Correct. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's that's my my distinct money motivation right now
0: is just self-sufficient. Do you think... So when you, there's a lot of creators out there who yeah. do creation for like their full-time job. Oftentimes I find if I don't know the creator personally, I assume that they do it as their full-time job because it makes them more than the hundred level of six figures annually. And I don't know why I do this. I know that's definitely not the case. That's there are the case. there are definitely, there there are a handful of podcasters who exclusively do podcasting who make that much money doing this job. But I always, for whatever reason, I always think like, oh, he's got that, that YouTube money now, which is weird. Like Ben and John, None of them don't make insane salaries i don't have a clue what the actual number is but i know it's
1: no and they're a pretty high percentage percentile of youtube creators right there's not, I know they there's, live in, there's way more
0: below them than there are above them right and i know they live in normal-sized homes i don't know i always just think it's fascinating the way i think about like you watch all these motivational speakers and everything and it's a, a one guy talking to a room full of a thousand people telling them all they can be one and you know one of them
1: right well, it's like you could look uh, at a guy like you look at the guy like peter mckinnon who's a photographer who's got five million subs on YouTube or whatever, and is making good money on that obviously now. And like, gets all kinds of brand deals and stuff like that. But like that dude was a professional product photographer. Yes. And like, I would gladly do that. I would, I would do that kind of job as a like freelancer for a company. That is how most people that are pro photographers make their money is by like having several clients that are larger businesses that they specifically, they're the guy for that or the gal or the person. Right. And like, I would, I would gladly do that. I don't know how to get those jobs. I'm not established or experienced enough to have those jobs right now.
0: I think those are a meet the right person kind of thing.
1: They are for sure but also like a lot of them like as I've talked to companies and a lot of companies are like yeah if you don't if you're not working for 5 years we're not interested just like they do with everything else like i, I that, I don't have five years on my portfolio, so I can't open the door.
0: So that that was a super interesting thing in in a lot of the books that I was I've been reading is there's this common theme of you know especially in young people to like you only live once so live fast and try as many things as you possibly can. But there are so many opportunities only afforded to you by trying one thing for, for a, a long, long time, time. Yeah. and that's something that so many young people do not get, myself included. Like I no, but we that's the thing is we get it, we just hate it right because it takes time and, and that's the thing the, the it's like gratification it, because that's crew. still the
1: thing is like you have to work a job you hate
0: for 20 years I don't think you need 20 years for a lot of the things these people are talking about but like you're never going to get the satisfaction of seeing your kid graduate from college if you don't grad if you don't raise a child from birth if you're not a parent for 21 years
1: yeah but I don't think that you should think about your job like that I don't think you should think about your if you're if you're not the person with your name on the door that is not how you should be forced to think about your job
0: no but like in professional sales I have eight years of experience in that and now I'm afforded opportunities that I never would have had when I was busing tables. Yeah. But I had to bust tables and enjoy the bar life for a year and a half to get to that point, to, to get to the point where I could get my foot in the door at a place that would look for somebody with 18 months sales experience.
1: Right. And that's the thing is like, that was my problem is I got out. of I left State Farm. I had four and some change years of professional, you know, customer facing sales experience. And like, I couldn't get an interview at journeys, right? Like at the only jobs afforded to me were other, like, Oh, th- at that point I had like the insurance company stink on me. yeah, And people were like, Oh, so the only people are going to hire you are other insurance companies. And like, Hey, I hate that job so much.
0: So, so I'm not telling you to do it.
1: I'm not saying you're telling me to do it. It's just like, that is the, that is how it works for us though.
0: Yeah. And, and I think had I, uh, so when I got out of cars and I went and did something else, when I tried to get back into cars, I was very thankful that I couldn't, like I had an interview that went extremely well at a dealership, but because I got like a speeding ticket six months prior. Yeah. I like I couldn't work anywhere selling cars. And I was like thankful for that, that it like forced my hand out of that industry. But it was a very, very stressful few months trying to find something to do. And I ended up somewhere I didn't like just to pay the bills until I found something. I I'm love. at
1: the point right now where like I'm trying to find a job that pays the bills and they're like, OK, well, you're like the 25th person on the waiting list for this job. So if somebody quits, we'll let you know. Dang. Because that's where the economy is at right now. It's like if I want to go work at Starbucks, there's 45 people in line ahead of me that want to work at Starbucks.
0: That sucks. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, that's what it's like trying to get a job right now. And if I had known that going in, I would have worried about this in January and figured it out then, but say la vie, I guess is where we're at right now. La vie. To to the point where like, yeah, I'd love to get up and work my 40 hours. That'd be great. Does somebody want to pay me to do 40 hours of work? That'd be awesome. Thank you. Um, and that's the thing with like the photography thing is like, I by no means think that I'm the world's best photographer. I have no things about that. I think that I am generally better than the average person that's been doing it for the same amount of time that I'm doing it. I've been doing it and I think I'm better at talking to people and making connections and getting myself jobs. But at the same time, I'm not better or more experienced than somebody that has five, six, seven, ten 10 years of experience. Somebody that's been doing it since they took a class their freshman year of high school. That's got right. a 10 a year portfolio when they're 24. Like
0: Right. But your 10 year portfolio at 35, you're still so young at 35.
1: Yeah, for sure. But I would I, I, would, I would kill to have that 10 year portfolio at 27 because then i could then i could do product photography for like you know adidas
0: virginia i mean maybe i just don't think you can you can frame it that way though i don't think that's fair or, but you could also no but i mean that's the reality
1: I'm, I'm not trying to frame it that way cuz it's fair that's the reality here's what like,
0: here's what you can do hear me out you get a job i don't know i, I uh you, say you get this Starbucks job, but not Starbucks because they probably wouldn't be cool with this. But say you get a job at like a local coffee shop. Your new job is like, yeah, okay, I make coffee drinks at the coffee shop. But really, your new job is the Instagram profile with your latte art. Yeah. That's the new job.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. You know, no, and I, I get, trust me, I get that. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, we need to wrap this episode because we have to edit this We have over two
0: hours. Yeah. Uh, Let's put this on the big board real quick.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, Wherever you think it goes. I don't really don't
0: care. Uh, The the big board is such. I don't know if we're going to bring it back for year four. We might not. I don't know. Um, This is better than Ricky Bobby, I guess. I have no idea. This is gonna, I think Mary Poppins is the only thing we've related it to here. Is it better than Mary Poppins?
1: Yes. I like it better than Mary Poppins. Uh,
0: than me too. Gold Finger. Cool. We'll be back next week with something. Um, yeah, we're gonna stop telling you what next week's movie is, listener, because it's almost never right.
1: Yeah, we'll be back next week with something. Um, our graphics are by Vaishon Brandon and Andy Bell. You can listen to a promo for That's What I'm Talking About right now here on WBE.
0: That's What I'm Talking About follows me, Mary Clay, on my first ever. journey through Lord of the Rings. Each week, a guest joins me for a chapter-by-chapter discussion of the books, where I also make some bold predictions. My current theory is that it's going to end like the movie Holes when Stanley is carrying Zero up the mountain because Madame Zeroni cursed his family. Oh my god! That's what I'm talking about every Tuesday, wherever you get podcasts.
1: Thank you for listening to WB&E shows. Support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Eggs. We're going to go record a hash brown right now, which you can hear on baconandeggs.patreon.
0: Patreon.com slash and Eggs. support us on Patreon so that Ethan doesn't have to work at Starbucks. Yeah, support us on
1: Patreon so Ethan doesn't have to get a job at Starbucks and I can keep making art. Also, uh, awesome. big thing
0: come soon again. Big thing come soon.
1: Yeah. Got a new project that I'm working on that I, despite what I said earlier, um, am excited about. I just got to get the energy together to make the project and finish it.
0: I believe in you. I'll buy it. I believe in me too. It's just been a weird month. Anyway, thanks for listening. I really like our people, everybody me too. involved.
1: I hope you we're looking for an in-depth conversation about how we think about um, business. Also, listen to I Am an Artist by Sarah, you screen. It's very good. It's like four and a half hours long. Probably not necessarily even worth your Audible credit. Just buy it. It's like 12 bucks. It's less than an yeah. Audible credit.
0: And then she gets money. She gets money either way. Well, there we go. That's how book sales work. But if you return it, then she loses money. So let's not do that.
1: I don't think you're going to want to return it. Anyway. Anyway. Um, I'm Ben <laughs> Ethan Edge, at least with Tyler Carlin. Until next time, arrivederci.
0: Arik Goldfinger.